Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, I have a question for you. Um, If you could grab coffee with one person from the history of the world, who would it be? Don't say Jesus, okay? We all know, all y'all's answer is Jesus for sure, right? But other than Jesus, if you could grab coffee with one historical figure, who would it be? Uh, Would it be Napoleon, George Washington, uh, Rosa Parks? Who, Who would you want to grab coffee with and just pick their brain and hear their stories? Well, after looking at uh, the chapter today, I'm pretty convinced that Joshua might be at the top of the list. Think about all that Joshua has been through. Uh, Joshua was born in slavery in Egypt, where there seemed to be no hope of freedom. Joshua lived through the 10 plagues upon Egypt. He walked up to the Red Sea, saw the Red Sea split before him. He walked through on dry ground on the rest. I mean, wouldn't you love to ask questions about that? Then Joshua comes over into the promised land, and he is the leader of Israel's army who has no weapons, and they defeat their enemies by the hand of God. He is at Mount Sinai and sees Moses come down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He, he, he witnesses the golden calf incident. He eats manna from heaven in the wilderness for 40 years. He's one of the 12 spies that goes into the promised land and one of only two spies that says, it's great and the Lord will give it to us. Let's go get it. Uh, he, he, again, was Moses' right-hand man who was the meekest man ever to walk the earth, it says. And so be great to ask him questions about Moses. He, he helped lead Israel. He, he was transitioned to leadership after Moses. He led Israel through the parted Jordan River. He saw God's mercy and grace to Rahab and to the Gibeonites. Joshua led the campaign. I mean, this guy led a life, right? He led the, the, the campaign around the walls of Jericho, which stood for 9,000 years. And they played trumpets, and then they shouted, and the walls fell down. I mean, this would be a good cup of coffee, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, Joshua then helped lead the triumph over Ai, and then, and then of course, we have uh, Joshua, like no other man, says, son, can you please stop for a little bit? And it does, right? Stand still. He sees God, like, rain hailstones like a sharpshooter on their enemies. He leads a conquest over the southern uh, promised land and the northern promised land. <laughs> That's my argument. That's a life, isn't it? I mean, holy smokes, could you imagine that cup of coffee? That would be amazing to sit down with Joshua and just hear his, about his experiences, but also hear his wisdom. Like, through all of this, Joshua, like, what would you want to say to us? Well, in today's chapter, we, we get that. 
which is really cool. And so if you would please open up to Joshua chapter 23. Um, Last Sunday, we gave you homework to read Joshua 12 through 22. And in case one of two of you actually didn't do that, which I'm sure is not the case, but in case you didn't complete that assignment, in those chapters, uh, through Joshua, God allots the promised land to the different tribes of Israel. And he establishes cities of refuge to make sure it is a land of justice. He also provides pasture land for the Levites, who are the priests of the land. Uh, And then in Joshua chapter 22, just before our chapter today, uh, Joshua sends the Reubenites and Gadites back to the east side of the Jordan River because they had helped them conquer, conquest the promised land, or the majority of it, as we'll see. And they've done their job, and so they go back to the eastern side of the Jordan, and they make this agreement that they will worship the Lord alone. Now, here's the thing. Between Joshua chapter 22 and Joshua chapter 23 is about 20 to 25 years, okay? So think about where you were 20, 25 years ago. That's a long time. I didn't have any kids 20 to 25 years ago. And so there's a new generation of people. There's also, you know, people have grown. Um, Joshua is now about 105 years old. And as Joshua approaches his death, he gathers the leaders of Israel from all over the promised land and east of the Jordan and brings them together for a final word of exhortation. Now, before we dig into Joshua chapter 23, I want to give you a visual image of it. Think of Joshua chapter 23 as a mountain, okay? And we are going to climb this mountain up to verse 11. And verse 11 is the peak of this passage, okay? And then we start going down this mountain. But both, both of those lead up to the peak of verse 11. And so I just want to start by doing the ascend up to the peak in verse 11. So let's start by looking at Joshua Chapter 23, verses 1 to 11. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Verse 6. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. That you may not mix with these nations remaining among you. Or make mention of the names of their gods. Or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to fight, flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you 
just as he promised you. Now here is the pinnacle, the peak of the mountain, the thing that the rest of this chapter is all about. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that as we look at this passage, you would teach us how to love you, how to love you more. Teach us to be careful to do this, God. We are so prone to wander, so prone to love other things more than you. Show us how to love you carefully. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So one of my family's favorite shows is America's Got Talent, and so I am so excited for the talent show here at Jacob's Well Church, and we need more of you to sign up, encourage you to do so. Uh, Maybe your community group could sponsor a person, or the youth group could get some guys together, or girls together to do the talent show, but we need more talent. Um, And just in case you are hesitant to get up and do the talent show, I thought I would give you maybe just a preview of my talent from the talent show. As many of you know, I'm a very gifted singer, And so I would like to sing you a little bit of a song. But before I do that, I do want to let you know, uh, this song has been called America's Radio's Most Played Hit. It was released in 1964 and written by a guy named Phil Spector. Uh, Phil Spector had given his entire life to the music industry, and as a result, his marriage fell apart and his wife left him. And so he wrote this song to his ex-wife who had left him. And evidently it had resonated with millions of Americans because it became the most popular song on the radio. You probably know the song. Feel free to sing along as well if you would like. I always debate, should I sing it or not sing it? And you know, it's just like songs were meant to be sung, right? Can I get an amen? All right, thank you for encouraging me. All right, here we go. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. Thank you. And there's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it. But baby, baby, I know it. You've lost that love and feeling. Come on. Oh, that love and feeling, you've lost that love and feeling, now it's gone, 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 whoa, 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 all right, we can end it there, right? Great job, way to go, thank you for helping me, it's very scary, if you enter the talent show, you cannot do worse than that, so please enter the talent show. As that song goes on, he says, we had a love, a love you don't find every day, so don't, 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 don't let it slip away. Throughout the scriptures, our relationship with the Lord is is imaged by a marriage between a husband and a wife. And if you uh, are married, you know that marriage is very, very, very easy until you get married, right? And once you get married, you know that, that marriage is hard work. And that if you do nothing, if you don't work at that relationship, you will lose that love and feeling. It's going to happen. 
For a husband and a wife to grow in their love for one another, it takes intentionality, right? It takes effort. It takes discipline. It takes a denial of self. You have to be very careful how you foster your love or else it will fade away. At the end of his life, Joshua's summary exhortation is be very careful to love the Lord your God. Now, if we take a superficial look at that, we might say, why do we have to be careful to love the Lord your God? Because we watch the Hallmark movies, right? And in the Christmas Hallmark movies, they fall in love and they just can't help it. And they're in love for the rest of their life and they just can't help it. They're just in love and love and love and they can't escape it. But we know reality is much different than that. Love takes work. You have to foster it. How many people, including me, on their wedding day were so in love, and it was wonderful and great, but love can grow cold over time if you don't foster it. You know, I will be honest. I remember when Jesus first saved me, I was so in love with him that you couldn't shut me up. Like anyone, like, do you know about this guy, Jesus? It's amazing, right? And yet there are times where my heart grows cold. You see, Joshua's hope for Israel and God's hope for you and for me is that we would love Jesus more on the day that we die than the day that we were saved. Jesus' hope for you and for me is that we would love him more the day that we die than the day that we first believed. Joshua says, be very careful to love the Lord your God. Now, I'm guessing you want this deep down in your bones. Uh, That's why you're here today. You want to grow in your love for the Lord. But how how does this happen? How do we foster this? And and Joshua, just in his wisdom at the end of his life, will tell us why We should be careful to love the Lord. How we should be careful to love the Lord. And then on the descent of the mountain, what happens if we are not careful to love the Lord? So first, why should we be careful to love the Lord? In other words, why should we make fostering our love for the Lord our one most supreme, all-consuming mission in life? Why should this be a higher priority than food or water or romance or comfort or safety? Let's look at verse one again. It says, a long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, again, 25 years later, and Joshua's old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced and years. And now Joshua's going to start building the case of why they should be so careful to love the Lord their God. Verse 3, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Over these past two decades, again, there are new people on the scene, children have been born that that have not experienced the warfare of taking the promised land. And and even those who maybe were a part of it have wondered, Lord, what have you done for me lately? It's been 20, 25 years, it's been two decades. What have you done for me? 
And so Joshua starts to stir their affections by reminding them of all that God has done for them, by reminding them that the Lord has given them victory in the wilderness where they had no weapons, east of the Jordan River where they were still banned from the promised land. God gave them victory over Jericho and I, over the southern parts of the promised land and over the northern parts of the promised land. To be honest, all they did was win, 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 no matter what, what, what. And the Lord does it in such miraculous ways that at the present time, there was no question this uh, victory belongs to the Lord. Now, as we will see, the Lord's past victory for them had a present and a future blessing to it. Look at verse four with me. It says, behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, we'll talk about this in a second, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west, talking about the Mediterranean Sea. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promise you. So if you look at this map up here, and I'm curious if Angie did it correctly, there's like a map with two maps on it. There we go. She did it. That's awesome. So right here you see this is the allotment of the land of Israel that Joshua allotted, okay? And there's even some east of the Jordan here, which we'll talk about again. Uh, well, we already talked about that they came and helped them fight and then went back. But this is the promised land that was allotted by God through Joshua, okay? When Joshua is done with his campaigns, when he's now 105 years old, this is how much of the promised land they have taken. So you can see there is still large portions that are unconquered. And what we read in these verses is that Joshua is saying that the Lord has allotted to you the land that we have conquered, and he's already allotted you the land that is going to be conquered, and the Lord will do this because he is faithful. And so in verses four and five, Joshua is reminding them uh, that the Lord has given them an inheritance, part of which they have already possessed, uh, but part of it is a future inheritance that they have. And so what Joshua is doing is reminding Israel why they should be careful to foster their love for the Lord. And it's because of what the Lord has done in the past, giving them victory over their enemies. It's because of what the Lord is doing in their present, giving them peace within the promised land. But it's also because of what the Lord promises to do for them in the future, which is to give them the rest of the promised land. Now, why is it that Joshua reminds them of what God has done, is doing, and will do for them? Why does Joshua do this again in the next chapter? Why does this happen throughout all of the Bible? It's because when we forget what the Lord has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, which we forget a lot, when we forget those things, our heart and our love for the Lord grows cold. We grow bitter, angry, ungrateful, skeptical, and self-focused. I don't know if any of those resonate with you, but they do with me. We lose that love and feeling towards the Lord, and we start to pursue other loves to fill that void. On the other hand, when we remember all all that the Lord has done and is doing and promises to do on our behalf, it cultivates gratitude in our hearts. It helps us to trust the Lord with the future. It helps us to glorify and enjoy him as the center of our life. And most importantly, it warms our affections for him and spurs us to love him more. You know, it's the same in marriage. When, when my heart grows cold and 
critical towards my wife, and it does at times. Maybe your husband's better than me. I doubt it. But when it grows cold and critical, what I have to do is I have to remember all the ways she has loved me, all the ways she does love me, and all the ways she has promised to love me. I mean, what other woman has pledged to stay committed to me for the rest of my life? Whether the woman has moved to St. Louis and worked a full-time job to put me through seminary. What other woman has bore and raised my children? What other woman makes me breakfast in the morning? What other woman makes my clothes magically reappear in my closet clean? What other woman has seen me on my very worst days and forgiven me and chosen to still love me? What other woman someday will change my diapers? No other woman will. But my wife has loved me, does love me, and will love me. And when I remember all that my wife has, is, and will do for me, I remember her love for me, and it stirs my affections to love her and to seek to cherish her as God has called me to do. Christian, if you are wanting to know why you should strive carefully to love the Lord with effort and intentionality and passion, let me ask you this question. What other God intricately wove you in your mother's womb? What other God sustains your body every second of every day? Who else has provided you food and shelter and clothing every day of your life? Who else has promised to never leave you or forsake you? Who else has loved you so much that he sent his most precious son to die on your behalf? Who else has adopted you as their son or daughter? Who else has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit? Who else has gone to heaven to prepare a place for you? Who else knows the wicked depravity of your soul and still loves you like crazy? Who else has done this for you? No one else has done it for you. Only the Lord God. Christians, why should you make it your supreme, all-consuming focus in life to carefully love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, as Jesus says is the most important commandment. Why should we do this? It's because no one loves you like God loves you. No one loves you in the past or in the present or in the future like the Lord does, no one. So why should we carefully love the Lord? Because no one loves us like the Lord. Second, how should we be careful to love the Lord? What does it practically look like for us to love the Lord? Is it just to stir up warm fuzzies in our heart? What does it look like? Look at verse six with me. He says, therefore, be very strong. Now let's pause there. If you're familiar with Joshua, if you've been around, if you look at the heading of the, of the title for the sermon series, you would expect it to say, be very strong and courageous for the Lord is with you. That's what you would expect it to say, right? It has put that on repeat throughout the book of Joshua. It's not what it says here. Look what it says. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turn aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left. Now, people might be tempted to call Joshua a legalist, but I don't think Joshua was a legalist. Notice here it doesn't say, hey, uh, keep all that is written in the law, 
unless you don't feel like it, right? Keep the commands of God unless it's not convenient. Uh, Do what the Lord says unless it's just very, very hard for you. No, it says, keep and do all that is written written in it, turning not from it to the left or to the right. In other words, don't deviate it in any measure at all. Keep it precisely. Jesus says it like this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Joshua continues in verse 7 with specific concerns of obedience that we will see will plague Israel for uh, the next hundred, hundreds of years, okay? And you'll see that they kind of build on one another. Look at verse 7. It says, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you. In other words, intermingling with them. Uh, this is kind of an entry level, like dipping you know, your, your feet into the water, or make mention of their names of their gods. So speak as if their gods are real gods, because they're not. They're fake gods. They're, they're wood and they're, they're, they're stone. They're not real gods, okay? Or swear by them, that is to create an oath in the name of that God, um, as if that God who is imaginary can keep you accountable to it. And they're neck deep in the water there. And then finally plunging under, or serve them or bow down to them. That is to worship them. You see, here's the think that Joshua is saying. Losing your love for God, abandoning the faith, and worshiping other gods does not happen overnight. It doesn't happen with a single decision. It happens with small choices that lead to bigger choices, that lead to even bigger choices. Whenever someone walks away from the Lord, it is the result of a culmination of tiny choices up to that point. Let me give you an example. I know this happens a lot when people go off to college, right? They go away to college and, and they think they're free and maybe the first few weeks they, you know, go to church because they're supposed to do that, but then they're like, eh, it doesn't matter that much and they'll skip one service a month and they'll skip two services a month, skip three services a month, and then eventually, eventually, they only go to church when they come home to be with their parents. And they say things like, I'm just too busy to go to church or the campus ministry, But the reality is they have plenty of time, hours of time to hang out with their sweetheart, right? Who, by the way, they also say is a Christian, but doesn't go to church. The Bible gathers dust on their shelf, and while they consume the false narratives of their teachers, they start to question their faith. And as they have, quote, friends, they start to deconstruct their faith. And then, boom, three three years later, they're a junior, and they're like, I'm no longer a Christian. It did not happen overnight. It happened with a lot of choices along the way. You see, departing from the Lord is a slow fade. And that's why Joshua is telling them that you have to obey and be careful in the little things. Because the little failings lead to medium failings, which lead to major failings of abandoning the Lord. And so we should seek to obey all of the Lord's commandments precisely because God's commandments are for our good. God's commandments are the good life. They foster our exclusive love for the one true God, the Lord. And so first, how do we be careful to love the Lord? By obeying all the things he has commanded to him. He has given to him as an expression of his love to foster our love for him. But On top of that, not only should we obey the Lord, Joshua says we should also cling to the Lord. Look at verse eight. 
He says, but you shall cling or cleave to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. In other words, they've been faithful up to this point. They've been clinging to the Lord their God. Now, when I first heard this term cling, I kind of had the word picture of like, like someone hanging off a cliff and hanging onto a tree branch, right? And they're clinging to it for dear life. But I think a better uh, illustration of what Joshua is communicating here is think of the first time you take a child into the swimming pool, okay? Uh, if you're a mom or a dad, you probably have experienced this, but you take your kid into a swimming pool and they have their arms wrapped around your neck, right? And, and then you, you go to let them go into the swimming pool and what happens? They start strangling you, right? They're holding on for dear life. They do not want to go into the water because they know that if they go in the water on their own, they can't take it, right? It's not going to lead to good things. And so they are clinging to the parent's neck, strangling the parent's neck. Their face is turning purple and they're like, it's okay, right? You can do this, right? But, but the reason that the child does, why does the child do this? Is because the child knows two very important things. First off, the child knows that the parent loves them and cares for them. But secondly, they know that the parent is taller than the water is deep, right? And they know if they cling to their parent, they won't drown below the flood. We are called to cling to the Lord God because what we have to face in this world are battles that we cannot win on our own. Joshua continues in verse nine. He says, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord, your God, who fights for you just as he promised you. Be very careful. And this is the verse then. Be very careful. We reach the, the peak of the mountain. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Joshua is telling us to cling to the Lord in whatever battle you're facing today. To cling to the Lord because he is a Lord worth clinging to. The Lord is the one who has given victory over our enemies. He's the one who's given us strength to fight the good fight of faith. He's the one who's given us freedom. Life is hard in this world. There are many dangers, toils, and snares. We battle against discouragement. We battle against brokenness. We battle against sin. Not only that, but we battle against Satan and his minions. And to be honest, we are too weak to conquer any of them. We are a needy people, like a vulnerable toddler held over the water. We're powerless against our foes. And so Joshua says, cling to the Lord your God for dear life. Later in chapter 12, Joshua warns them. It's actually in the next verse, verse 12, sorry. Joshua warns them not to cling to the people in the land. It's the same Hebrew word, cling. But what it's telling us, what it reminds us is that all of us have to cling to something or to someone. Because all of us know that we're in danger without something or someone else. And so let me ask you, what do you cling to? Or what are you tempted to cling to when you are stressed out? When you're at the end of your rope, when you just can't take it anymore, how do you medicate? Maybe it's chocolate. Chocolate's a great thing. It's not a bad thing. But do you cling to food? Do you cling to alcohol? Do you cling to social media? Do you cling to foreign lovers as 
Israel's going to do, all of them are going to sink. But the Lord stands tall, and he loves you, and he is for you. And Joshua says, be careful to love the Lord your God by obeying him, but then cling to him. Cling to him. Deuteronomy 30 summarizes, I think, this passage so well, and it says this. It says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, talking about the commands of God, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice. And it says holding fast to him. It's the same Hebrew word, to cling to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord, your, the Lord swore to your father, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. In your struggles, in your sadness, in your suffering, don't run to any other God. Run to the Lord and cling to him, okay? So, so let's just review. So why should we be careful uh, to love the Lord? It's because no one loves us like the Lord loves us. So he's the one we should run to. And how should we carefully love the Lord? Well, by obeying his commands, which he's given to us to foster our love for him, but also to cling to the Lord in all of our, in all of our times of highs and lows. The final question, we're going to start now descending the mountain, still connected to the peak, but descending the mountain. What happens if we are not careful to love the Lord? Again, it's something we have to work at, we have to cultivate, we have to be intentional about. What happens if we are not careful to love the Lord our God? Look at verse 12 with me. He says, For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of the nations remaining among you instead of clinging to the Lord, and make marriages with them, these unbelievers, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. That is the unconquered part of the promised land. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you. A whip on your sides and then get this. Thorns in your eyes. Until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. What Joshua is warning them about here is that if they choose to not obey and cling to the Lord, but rather obey their sinful desires and cling to their foreign pagan lovers, that the Lord will not enable their rebellion. He will give them over to their sin and over to their misery of choosing to chase after other loves than the Lord himself. If they cling to their own wisdom, their wisdom will not let them conquer the rest of the promised land. If they cling to their own pagan lovers, their pagan lovers will be like a thorn in their eyeball. You see, here's the thing. Apart from the Lord, there is no victory. There is no joy. There's only defeat and misery. Verse 14, Joshua says, And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. That is, Joshua is about to die. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. God has been faithful in all of his good promises to you is what he's saying. Verse 15, but, and this is important, he's using God's faithfulness for the good things to show that God is also faithful. 
and the, and the promises of judgment and discipline. Verse 15, but just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Joshua is saying that God's faithfulness to his covenant is a double-edged sword. Yes, God is faithful to pour out his covenant blessings to those who seek to worship him and obey him, but that faithful God is also faithful to the covenant curses who rebel against him and chase after other gods. You know, it's kind of like when you take out a lease on an apartment, right? Usually there is some sort of contract that you have to read and sign. And if you're faithful to obey that contract, if you're paying your rent, if you are not destroying the property, if you're not having wild parties till 5 a.m., then they will be faithful to their end of the contract. They will be faithful to let you live in peace in your apartment. But if you disobey that contract and you don't pay your rent and you're trashing the apartment complex and you are throwing parties till 6 a.m., the apartment owner may be patient with you and they may be merciful and they may try to give you lots of warnings to change your behavior, but ultimately they will be faithful to that contract by kicking you out of the apartment and putting everything you own on the street. And anyone who knows the fullness of the situation will know that it was a just, uh, a just eviction. God's covenant faithfulness is a double-edged sword. If you obey God, he is faithful to pour out his covenant blessings upon you. But if you disobey God, he will be faithful to pour out his covenant curses upon you of suffering, of destruction, of death, and of never knowing his love. Now, for anyone who is honest about their condition, this is terrifying because we know that although God has been so good to us and has been faithful to us and faithful to his covenant, we haven't been faithful to God. All we have to do is look at the Ten Commandments. We know very quickly that we have disobeyed God's covenant in our hearts and in our minds, and in our actions. We disobeyed all of them probably this week. And we know that we deserve the covenant curses. We know we deserve to be evicted from the love of God, put out on the street apart from him for all eternity, to suffer the misery of this world and the world to come. In ourselves, we have no hope at all to experience the love we were created for, the love of our creator. And so here we have this divine dilemma, a divine dilemma. How can God be faithful to his covenant promises of blessing, to love his people, but also be faithful to his covenant curses, to, to bring judgment upon his people who sin against him because all of them have sinned against him. And so how can he be faithful to his covenant blessings and to his covenant curses? It's a dilemma. That can only be solved at the cross. You see, Jesus is the one and only one who has perfectly obeyed the covenant of God. Jesus is the only one 
who deserves to inherit the covenant blessings of God. And yet he went to the cross for you and for me out of great love for us. He went for, because he loves us, he went there and he took on your covenant curses, your covenant disobedience, and he paid for it in full upon the cross and then rose on the third day to give us newness of life so that anyone who trusts in Christ for their salvation, anybody can experience the faithful covenant blessings of God for all eternity. Let me end with this. C.S. Lewis, whose name is Clive Staples Lewis, uh, is a well-known British writer and theologian who wrote Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, he passed away in 1963. And before he passed away, just a short time when he was sick and I think bedridden at the time, um, a little girl wrote him a, a letter, and she wrote him saying just how much she loved the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, but how they also made her very scared. And, and C.S. Lewis wrote back, and he says, Dear Ruth, Many thanks for your kind letter, and it was very good of you to write and tell me that you like my books, and what a very good letter you write at your age. And then he says this, and I think we have it on the screen. He says, if you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you, and I hope you will always do so. Christians, in some ways, it is just that easy. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's that easy. Love the Lord your God. But we have to be careful to do it. We have to cultivate it. We have to be intentional. And why should we be careful to love the Lord your God? Again, because there is no one who loves you like the Lord loves you. How should we be careful to love the Lord? By obeying his commandments and by clinging to the Lord. And what happens if we don't carefully love the Lord? Well, what happened to Jesus happens to you. But if you do trust in Jesus and you do love him, then you get to experience the unfailing love of God, not only today, but also for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are faithful and consistent in your love for us. We come confessing that we are not, that we are prone to wander that we're prone to chase other loves all the time. And so God, pray that we would heed these, these, this exhortation from Joshua today, that we would be careful to love you above all else, that we would make that our all-consuming passion to, to know your love and to love you in response. God, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit. We cling to you. We cling to you to advance our love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.